The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Notice in Mark chapter 7, verse 34, speaking of Jesus, it says, And looking up to heaven, he sighed. I want to preach to you this morning, the Lord being my helper, about our sighing Savior. Our sighing Savior. Have you ever sighed in the face of troubles? Have you ever just looked around you at what you're facing in life and what you're dealing with in the world around you and just had to take a deep breath and go, that's Jesus here. That's, That's what he's done. You know, I love the fact that our Lord is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He's a great God. He sits high in the heavens. He sits on the throne of his glory. That's where he is today, at the right hand of the Father on high. But yet we're told he is a God who is not so high and lifted up that he cannot feel the infirmities that afflict us. Have you ever sighed in the face of I have. I've sighed often, especially of late. In this verse and three other times we read in the Word of God that the Lord either sighed or groaned. What would cause the Lord to do this? Well, let's, let's, let's look at this, the Lord being our helper. Just to catch the context, we want to go back to verse 24. And I want you to understand that in the prelude to Jesus sighing, I went back and looked, there are 16 different references to miracles that he's performed or to times when he's been performing miracles. Eleven of those in the book of Mark have to do with specific persons and specific situations. The others are general statements about how he healed many and he cast out many demons and so forth. He, but he has, been, he has been going about and he has been working the works that he came to work he came to he came to heal he came to uh he came to restore and of course you know ultimately he came to redeem we're told at the very end of this passage verse 37 that the people were beyond measure astonished and they said he hath done all things well Uh, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak i think that's a pretty good assessment of the life and work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if somebody could just say of me, he's done some things well, I think I'd be happy. Most of the time, the criticisms are much worse than that, though. But for the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say without any doubt or any hesitation, he hath done all things well. (laughs) And that applies, by the way, to our eternal salvation. Many in the world say he didn't quite get that done, but I promise you, beloved, he hath done all things well, especially in regard to our eternal salvation. But that's not the focus of what I want to talk about right now. But prior to him sighing, he has performed miracles of all sorts in dealing with with all kinds of problems he's seen in this world. And most recently... 
His most recent miracle is that he healed the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. Let's look at that just for a second. I don't want to, I probably, the Lord, if the Lord blesses, we'll come back in another message to talk more in depth about this woman. But, but notice what happened in verse 24. From thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. By the way, if Jesus is working in your life, he can't be hid, okay? Uh, now, we can try to hide him, and we can do a pretty good job of it if we focus upon our flesh and not upon our, our spiritual and upon the things that God uh, would have us to do. We can hide him pretty well to where people don't see him in our lives, but if the Lord is working in our lives and in our church, it ought to be that he can't be hid. People ought to be saying, you know, I don't know what's going on down there at Zion Primitive Baptist Church, but it looks like the Lord is there. You know, maybe people come in that don't understand our doctrine. Maybe they've never heard the teachings of the sovereign grace of God, but when they come here, they ought to be able to say the Lord is here. It was no secret that the Lord was here i'll tell you beloved as a church if we're not loving like jesus loved you can teach all the truth you want but if you're not loving one another nobody's going to care and nobody's going to see that the lord is here they're going to say you've got a great teacher down there they know a lot of doctrine down there but i sure didn't feel the spirit <laughs> i trust that'll never be said about this church and i i'm so thankful that it has not been the case since since uh since the Lord has blessed us with revival. It says he could not be hid. Verse 25, here's the, the case of this Syrophoenician woman. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek and a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children first be filled for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. <laughs> if you go back to Matthew, the 15th chapter, and you'll, you're going to read that in approaching Jesus, she addressed him as thou son of David, which was a specifically Jewish appellation for him. It was a specifically Jewish name for him. And you notice when she, when he, she approached in, in that way, um, the Lord just seemingly ignored her seemingly just put let me just i don't want to go too deeply into this this portion that's a whole nother sermon but let me just assure you this the lord is not toying with her he's not being ugly and rude to her there's a reason that he's he's approaching it like this and ultimately the reason uh the, the the primary reason i believe is to increase her faith but he says let the children first be filled it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. Notice what Jesus says to her. He says, he uses the term for a little puppy in talking to her. The Lord is not being ugly to her. And she says, yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. You know, she wasn't a Jew. She had no right to approach him under the Jewish law. But notice he didn't say Jews only. Children only. He just said children first. There's, there's a whole line of preaching about that, about how the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ originally was to the Jews. That, that's where the gospel was preached first, even all the way back to Abraham. But he didn't say Jews only. He didn't say children only. He said children first. And she said, look, I don't have any pride. I'm not worried about those kinds of things. I'll just take the crumbs, Lord. I'll just take the crumbs. You know, David said one time, 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be among the tents of the wicked. Do you feel that way? I'll tell you, beloved, pride has no place in the church of God. Pride has, if you're a rugged individualist, a prideful person, you're not going to enjoy the kingdom of God. If you have the attitude of, I need to be in the front seats, I need to be high up in the leadership, I need to be the one running the show, then you're not going to have a good experience in the kingdom of God. On the other hand, if you have the attitude that this woman had and that David had, Lord, I don't care if they never let me in this church, if they never, if I could just sit in the back and I can just be a doorkeeper and just get some of the crumbs from your table, oh, what blessings you'll enjoy. In fact, Jesus, Jesus put his stamp of approval upon this attitude. He says, for this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. This is... This is what had just happened. This is what had just happened. It was the end of, as I said, 16 episodes of the Lord confronting and dealing with the curse of sin in this world. Because see, that's, is that not the result? You know why you got to plow a garden today? You know why you got to deal with, when you go to pick blackberries, you got to worry about pricking your finger on the thorns? Because Adam sinned in the garden. Briars and thorns were brought forth because of Adam. You know why we got to deal with problems of life today? Because of Adam. Because of what he did to plunge us into the curse that we experience today in the world. And so now, what's happened in verse 31, he departs from the coast of Tyre and Sidon and he comes to Galilee into the coast of a place called Decapolis. And now verse 32 brings us to our, our text. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Put yourself in the place of this deaf man who had a speech impediment and think about his life and how much of a struggle that life had been. I believe that's one of the things the Lord was thinking about as he dealt with this man. It says, he took him aside from the multitude. I love this. The Lord didn't make him a spectacle. The Lord didn't make a spectacle out of this man. It says, he took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven... He sighed. He sighed. Look at this deaf man with a speech impediment. Is that not a prototype of the fallen man? <laughs> Is that not the prototype of what sin has done to humanity? He can't hear right and he can't talk right. In Romans 11 and verse 8, uh, the Lord said, gives us this uh, reference back to, a, uh, to an older scripture. And he says this, he says, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now I know that's talking specifically about the judicial blindness and deafness of Israel, but beloved, what's the, where does that come from? What is the genesis of that? It's the sin that Adam plunged us into. In the third chapter of Romans, he's specifically talking about all the problems of sin and, and what it is that we are facing as children, uh, as children of, uh, of humanity, as sons and daughters of Adam. 
It says in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now listen to the throat, listen to the voice. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Is not this man the prototype of the sin curse that came upon mankind because of Adam's sin? Adam was upright. God made him upright. But he says, we've sought out many inventions. <laughs> Adam, when he ate of the fruit, could no longer hear right, could no longer talk right, could no longer think right, could no longer act right. See, this man here, it's almost like slapping the Lord Jesus in the face with the curse that Adam plunged this world into. Three other places in the scripture, Jesus sighs or groans. And here, notice he's facing the effects of sin upon the body of this man. It's the sickened, ravaged body, incurable. And the word sigh means to, to murmur with grief or to groan. It, what, what he saw here, what he sees in this man affected the Lord Jesus Christ deeply. I believe there's a reason he's called a man of sorrows. It's not because of himself. It was because of the sorrows that, that he saw around him and that he experienced in a new way by becoming flesh and coming down here to this world. In Mark, the 8th chapter, in the 12th verse, it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. That's an even more intense version of the word used for sigh in the 7th chapter. And that means literally to draw up a deep sigh from the bottom of the breast. What's he looking at here? Well, without getting too deep in it, read it yourself. But he's looking at these, he's facing these Pharisees who are seeking a sign from heaven and tempting him thereby. And, and what, he's, what he's facing here is the effects of sin. Uh, he's faced the effects of sin upon the body of this man. Now he's facing the effects of sin upon the spirit of man, the, the deadness and spiritual nature that was the result of Adam's fall. The other two times we read about Jesus sighing or groaning is John, the 11th chapter, at the tomb of Lazarus. In John chapter 11 and verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, that's Mary, who had come to Jesus and fallen at his feet, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was was troubled. And then in verse 39, or 38 rather, as he comes to the grave of Lazarus, it says, Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. What's he facing here? Well, he's facing the effect of death upon those who are left behind and indeed upon the very body of Lazarus, the very life of Lazarus. You know, the, the, you know where death comes from? It doesn't come from God. We often say things like the Lord called him home, and I believe that does happen from time to time. But don't blame death on God. 
Our death was not foreordained by God. It is one of those things that occurs as the result of the sin of Adam. Death, sin when it is conceived, bringeth forth death. As in Adam all died, we're told in Romans, the fifth chapter. Jesus is not the author of death. In fact, Jesus is the enemy of death. That word groan right there literally means to be angry. It's to be indignant. He's not just... He's not just groaning in grief. He's groaning in anger. The Lord is angry at the side, at the graveside of his friend Lazarus. Why is he angry? Because death is his enemy. Death is the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the enemy of you and I, beloved. I hate death. I've had the experience several times of being at the side of loved ones who passed away. And when you've been there a few times, you tend to start to notice what's happening. And you figure out, okay, it appears to be getting closer. One of the most uh, poignant times of that is when Sherry's grandmother passed away several years ago. Granny Guy was laying there in the hospital bed, and, and we could tell. It was, here it was coming. And it was going to be a while, but it was a process that began and I remember standing there and just getting angry about it. Just being, here we go again. You know, I think that's kind of what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing here. He was standing at the, at the, in front of and facing his great enemy, death. The great enemy of God. The great enemy of the children of God. And he was angry about it. You know, I, I can just see... the. Him. I don't know what all was going through his mind. But in the, in the passage we're dealing with in Mark chapter 7, he sighs. And can't you just hear him thinking in his own mind or even muttering under his breath, Adam, 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 here we go again. Here we go again. I don't know about you, beloved, but I have sighed and groaned in the face of the curse of sin on this world. I don't like it any more than the Lord Jesus Christ did. And I'm in good company because he hated it. You been groaning lately? You been sighing lately? Let me ask you this. You watched any news lately? <laughs> I turned on the news the other day. and I hadn't been watching it. I'll confess to you. I've, I'm, I've been turning it off. Turn on the news, and before 30 minutes had passed, I was angry. I was, I was grunting, <clears throat> sighing, groaning. You been afflicted or affected by this coronavirus in any way? Maybe it's been somebody you're close to that's gotten sick with it, maybe died with it. Maybe it's just the way the media and all the talking heads out there have politicized it. Maybe that's, maybe that's your problem. Maybe, are you, are you walking around in fear? I mean, I, I confess to you, it's a fearful time, but are we dealing with the curse of Adam in fear and trembling? Are you dealing with it in anger? You getting mad about it? You getting frustrated? 
What about when you look in the mirror? I don't know about you, but I've sighed and groaned a lot about what's going on around me. But I've sighed and groaned a whole lot more about what's going on inside me. I'm, I'm, I'm not treating the coronavirus lightly. I'm not treating the politics of this world lightly. Those are big things in all of our lives. But I tell you something that's bigger. It's the sin that doth so easily beset us. I've been sighing a lot lately about that, brother buddy. I've, I've looked into my heart. I've looked into my life. I've looked at the things I've done, the things I've said, the things I've thought about, the way I've lived, the way I've treated people lately. And I'll tell you this. The things going on outside of you will affect the things going on inside of you. If you're, not, if you're focusing on those things to the exclusion of, of the things that we need to be focusing upon, which are the things inside us, beloved, you'll be sighing a lot. I've been sighing and groaning. But something here that's important for us not to miss in Mark, the seventh chapter, and that's that Jesus didn't just sigh. He didn't just groan in his spirit. He did something else. It says, when he took this man aside and started to deal with him, it says, he looked up into heaven. He looked up into heaven. Now, I'll tell you, beloved, my problem in sighing most of the time has to do with my looking around at the world. When I look around at the world, or I look inside at myself, I tend to sigh and I tend to become indignant. I tend to become angry. I tend to become upset. I tend to want to groan. But Jesus didn't just sigh. He did something else. He looked up to heaven. And then he sighed. Now, I'm not sure all of the ramifications of this. Uh, remembering the curse of Adam. Uh, maybe, as I said earlier, maybe uh, 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 breathing out, oh, Adam, oh, Adam, here we go again. I don't know what all he's sighing about. But I believe this, beloved. I believe that when he looked up to heaven... One of the things that that did was to remind him of the covenant that he, uh, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit had entered into many eons before that was a promise that the curse would not always exist. I believe when he looked up to heaven, that was something that in a very vivid form was done to remind us that there's more to this life than the curse that we see around us and that we see within us. I'll tell you, beloved, there was a time when the children of God were sighing. There was a time when the children of God were groaning. In the second chapter of the book of Exodus, we read about that. In verse 23, it came to pass... In process of time, 
that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. There was a place in time here where the children of God, the people of God, the kingdom of God was in great bondage and under great distress. And I know today we're experiencing great problems. I know today we have great troubles. But I'll tell you, beloved, nobody is coming to my house and pulling me out of my home and telling me to go down to the river and to make brick without straw. They're not causing me to take my, first, my, my child, my newborn son, and cast him into the river. They're not doing that to me and coercing me to do that, but that's what the children of God were experiencing in this day. You think today is bad. It's nothing compared to what they were facing in this day. And they were sighing. What do we do when we're facing these troubles? What do we do when the time uh, is before us that we have such... Uh, such tribulation that we can that we are burdened down by it. Yes, I understand that we ought to be engaged politically in our nation. I understand that we ought to take steps that we can take living in a free nation to ensure those freedoms and to try to even possibly fight for those freedoms. But beloved, there may be a time when we don't have even that option. In this day, the children of Israel did not have that option. They were burdened down. They were slaves in this place called Egypt. And by the way, Egypt is a type of the world. I don't know where, I'm thankful we're not there yet in America, but we may get there one day when the children of God, when the churches of God are, are shut down by decree, are shut down by law, and are focused upon as to trying to be eradicated. That's what Pharaoh was doing. He was trying to eradicate the kingdom of God. That may happen to us. What do we do? Do we get up an army and go fight? <laughs> I understand there's a place for defending this nation. They didn't have that option. What do you do? What do you do when you feel helpless? You know what they did? It says they sighed. They sighed by reason of the bondage. They looked around them. I could see if I, if I had been living in that day as a father, Rachel weeping for her children as she must have in such deep grief as those little babies were cast into the Nile River. I can see myself as a father of a family walking outside and looking around and seeing what all is happening around me and looking before me and seeing my task for the day to go down to the river and try to make straw and work all day for nothing. And I can just see myself as the, as the sun rises standing out there and looking around and just being overwhelmed by the problems and just going, another day, another day of bondage. These children of Israel, these children of God, since they sighed by reason of their bondage and they cried and they cried. But notice what happened. It says, their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And you know the miraculous thing here is the next phrase, and God heard their groaning. 
God heard their groaning. You know, one of the reasons I believe that we're told that Jesus looked up into heaven as he sighed is to remind us of the many situations in the past and the situations we will face in the future where we will be sighing over the curse of sin. But he's reminding us that there is something greater out there, that there is a God in heaven, and that God has heard in the past, and that God will hear now, and he will hear in the future. We're told in, in, in this difficult time that they looked up, and God heard their cry. But we're told in the difficult times that we face that we have a God in verse 15 of chapter 4 of Hebrews says we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin and now he says let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need beloved the throne of grace is full of grace that's why it's called the throne of grace. That's why we can go to the throne of grace. He doesn't run out of grace. He doesn't run out of mercy. He says he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Mark chapter 7 tells us that. He sighed just like we sigh. And praise God, he looked up to heaven just like we ought to look up to heaven. You know what it says in, in Revelation chapter 8? Lest you ever... Put down prayer, lest you ever dismiss prayer as ineffective or pointless. I heard a man one time say that it doesn't do any good to pray. Beloved, that's not what I read in my Bible. In the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, in the first verse, as all these seals are being opened and the vision that God is giving to, uh, uh, to John there of what's going on in heaven, it says when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. What in the world could cause silence to occur in heaven? You know, up to this point, there's been cherubim and seraphim and elders and people all crying out glory to God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, singing a song of redemption, the song of Moses and the song that the Lamb has prevailed. <laughs> so what could cause silence? He says, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. What is this? That he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Isn't that amazing? You want to know what causes silence in heaven? When, when you fall to your knees and pray, the Lord is listening, in other words. I don't know how literal that is. I, I assume it's at least partially literal, but whatever it is, beloved, He's telling us that the Lord listens to our prayers. And by the way, you want to know what the effects of prayers are? Look at verse 5. The angel took the censer. <clears throat> that was the censer where the prayers were going up from. 
and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. The politicians of this world don't cause that. The, the, the great men and women of this nation and of this world don't cause that. It's the prayers of God's saints. He filled up with the fire of the altar. And, and let me just tell you, when God's people pray, things happen. That doesn't mean we have power. That's not what I'm saying. But the Lord intends for us to pray to him. And often the results of those prayers are glorious things that occur in our life. It may just be, it may not be your circumstances changing. It may be you changing. <laughs> you know, that's what prayer does often. Prayer often changes me. Not, not the circumstances around. <clears throat> so what was it? What was it that caused God? I mean, why, why is this? Why is it that God listens to us when we sigh what is it about us are we so special are we so smart are we so theologically astute that God is saying hey man that guy he knows a lot or he's done a lot of good he's doing righteous works down here I better listen to him is that what God remembers back in Exodus listen to this Back in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24, after these children had sighed and groaned and cried, it says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Literally, that means God knew them. <laughs> God knew them. What is it that causes God to be so interested in our groans and our sighs? It's the covenant. It's the covenant that he had. He didn't look down upon you and upon me and say, or upon these children of Israel then and say, man, I remember how good they've been. I remember they've made all the right choices. They've, they've lived in the right way. They've done the right things. No, he remembered not that. In fact, we're told in many places he's forgotten our sins, but he remembers his covenant. Praise God. He remembers his covenant. Over in Luke, over in Luke, the first chapter, I want you to listen to this. It's so beautiful. What, what, what are we talking about here, preacher? In Luke, the first chapter, after John the Baptist is born and Zacharias, his father, gets his voice back, we're told in verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied. He preached, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Because they were so good? Because they were doing so right? No. But listen to this. He hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. You know our greatest enemy is death. <clears throat> that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant. Beloved, the reason the Lord responds when we sigh and when we groan is not because we're so good, but it's because he's so great and he remembers his covenant with us. What is he talking about? What is the covenant that he's referring to? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, uh, Paul is dealing with the sufferings of this present time. And he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory 
glory which shall be revealed in us. If you go back to the seventh chapter, you're going to see where Paul himself is sighing and groaning. Maybe not literally, but he's talking about the wretched man that he is. He's talking about all the problems that he has. He tries to do right, but he can't do right. When I do good, evil is present with me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Then he begins to talk about all the troubles of this world. He talks about the creation. He's about to tell us is, 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 uh, is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. We're in a world that groans and travails. The whole world system, the whole creation groaneth. Beloved, when you see a hurricane, beloved, when you see an earthquake, that's the world groaning because it's under the curse of sin. And he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How many times did Paul get beaten? How many times did he get cast out? How many times did he get shipwrecked? I think, I'm sure that in some of those times, if not all of those times, Paul was groaning. Paul was sighing. Paul was looking around, struggling with the tribulations of this world. And he says, as he continues here, he says, likewise, verse 26, the, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know what all the Lord was groaning. I don't know what all he was doing there in the 11th chapter of John, but I'll tell you, it's a groaning that you and I couldn't endure. It's a groaning we couldn't utter. The Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he goes on down to say in verse 28, oh, what a precious, precious verse. And remember, this verse isn't talking about the events of this life. This verse, you know, when you look at the events of this life, all you can do is groan and sigh. When you look at the all things that occur out there in the world that are the result of sin, beloved, all you're going to ever do is sigh and groan. And if you look at this verse, as the world teaches this verse, you're going to only be able to sigh and groan and scratch your head and say, well, I just can't figure out what the Lord's doing with all these things He's sending. But beloved, if you understand this verse... If you recognize that the all things here are not all things without exception that happen in the world, but the things he's about to tell us about here as he continues preaching to us here, then you'll understand that there is, you'll understand the reason Jesus looked up to heaven. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Well, what are these things he's talking about? For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Beloved, when I sigh in my spirit, when I groan in my flesh, when I look around me and I see all the problems of life, I can look up to heaven and I can know that I have a God in heaven who remembers his covenant. What covenant? The everlasting covenant, the everlasting love affair. That he, is, that he has with his people. Je, uh, Jeremiah tells us, he said, From everlasting I have loved thee. <laughs> you see, he loves us with an everlasting love. And because of his covenant, why does God hear our sighs today? Because of his covenant. Because before the foundation of the world, he loved us. 
Because before the foundation of the world, He predestinated us to be conformed to His image one day. Because in time, based on the covenant from before the foundation of the world, He calls us through His Holy Spirit and instills in us a new creature, creates in us a new life that can be in vital uh, contact with the Lord, that can, be, uh, that can commune with God, that can fellowship with Him. You know, before you're born again, you have no ability, no wavelength, no transmitter <laughs> to receive the things of God. But after you're born again, you can communicate with Him, you can fellowship with Him, and because based on the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world, He sent His Son to do what? To save His people from their sins. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Whom he predestinated, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. You know what's the most glorious part about it? Whom he justified, them he will also one day glorify. <laughs> That's not what it says. Them he also glorified. Do you understand that in the mind and purpose of God, your glorification is as certain as if it's already occurred? It's as certain as if it happened before the foundation of the world. That's why Jesus looked up to heaven, I believe, to remind us that when we sigh and we groan, we need to look up to heaven. There's a reason, beloved, we need to understand and know about the sovereign grace of God that brings eternal salvation through the finished work of His Son. There's a reason you and I need to understand that it doesn't hinge upon what we do or the choices we make or the way we mess up. <laughs> you know, we ought to live right. We ought to do right. And the Lord has told us we should. But praise God, when we mess up, that doesn't, that's not what he remembers when we look to heaven. When we look up to heaven uh, in, our, in the midst of our sighing and our groaning, he's not looking down and saying with his arms crossed and his foot tapping on the floor saying, well, buddy, I told you, I've been trying to get you to do right. That's not what he does. In our infirmities, he, he understands. In our infirmities, he loves us. And he remembers his covenant. <clears throat> in the book of Lamentations, as we bring this to a close, probably the worst the saddest book in the bible really I mean, think about it it means weeping <laughs> lamentations you know gloom despair and agony on me that's that's all that's about right there <clears throat> and with good reason <clears throat> jeremiah wrote the book in a terrible time of history of the children of israel he we're told in the first chapter, let's see, verse 20. This, this, this probably sums up Jeremiah's position. He says, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled, mine heart is turned within me. For I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth. At home there is as death. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. All mine enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that thou hast done it. <clears throat> That's about a good summation, as good a summation of where Jeremiah is as I know of. But if you just turn a page or two over to the third chapter, 
you're going to find another statement by Jeremiah that sums up where we need to be when we find ourselves in the place that Jeremiah is, what we need to think about and where we need to look. He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, This I recall in my mind, therefore have I hope. What, what is he hoping in? Is he hoping things are going to get better? Does he look back and say, I believe this next election will fix the problems for us? Does he look out and say, I just think if we can, you know, all wear masks or if we can all take our masks off and get back to where things ought to be or if we can all uh, get inoculated or if we can all uh, get better jobs, maybe the, maybe the economy will get better. Things will just get better. I'll, I'll, be, I'll have some hope. That's not what he looked to. And I encourage you, beloved, don't be looking to those things. Don't be looking to the things of the world for your help. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. There is no greater mercy than the, than the electing grace of God. The everlasting love affair between God and his people. When we find ourselves sighing in grief or groaning with indignation, let me just encourage you, turn off the TV. Look away from those things of the world and look to heaven. Politics, the CDC, the election, the, the things we read about in the newspapers, they're not going to, to save us. And I'll tell you, beloved, the election that will calm our souls is not the one in November. It's the one that occurred before the foundation of the world and that secured our eternity. When you sigh, look to heaven. God remembers his covenant, and he will not forsake us. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.